You have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Voice America Radio. You're listening to The Business Channel and another episode of Your Evolving Leadership Journey with your host, Tom Crea. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Barry O'Reilly, author of Unlearn, Let Go of Past Success to Achieve Extraordinary Results. Before we dive in, so far in this show, we've explored topics such as remote leadership, change resilience, leading with clarity, and servant leadership. You'll find everything related to this show at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. Check out our schedule to see who's next, catch up on episodes you've missed, and continue the discussion with like-minded individuals in our LinkedIn group. Now, if you believe in continuous learning, you're in the right place. So why did I think a chat with Barry about unlearning would be good for anyone interested in leadership? Well, like every guest who I've invited, I believe Barry has something important to offer you as you proceed along your evolving leadership journey. Now, let's meet today's expert, Barry O'Reilly. Barry, thanks for getting up so early. You're on the West Coast, and you're right in connecting with the, your commuters there um, for our show, and welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Tom. Great. Well, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, if you've just joined us, you can find multiple links for Barry in his bio and his work at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com. And if you have any questions, our call-in number is 866 866- Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. So Barry, if you would give our listeners a brief intro to your topic and tell us why unlearning is important for anybody interested in leadership or, in particular, servant leadership. Well, well, one of the most interesting things uh, I've had the experience of is working with uh, senior leaders in Fortune five hundreds to disruptive startups here in Silicon Valley. And one of the interesting observations I always had is while these phenomenally talented and competent people are, they have to continuously learn. And what I always felt was while working with them, I would see while learning new stuff is tough, what was even more challenging for them was on learning their existing behavior, especially when it made them successful in the past. Now, we're living in a world where technology is changing all the time, customer demand is changing, our sort of markets are changing all the time. And when people get stuck holding on to the behaviors and mindsets that made them successful at one moment all the time, there's a danger that they'll be using the wrong behaviors for the opportunities, circumstance, or situations that they're in. So what we have to recognize is that we need a system to both recognize when we need to learn, but when we need to unlearn the behaviors that made us successful and not working for us at the moment. And, and working with these people, teaching them how to identify that, how to adapt their behavior, and has led to some amazing results, both in their own performance and the organizations that they lead. So I've had the privilege to work with lots of these leaders from executive teams at British Airways, NASA, Capital One, to teach them how to learn, how to unlearn. 
And I'm looking forward to sharing uh, with your audience some of the methods that they can use to start achieving extraordinary results. Great, thanks. Now, let me piggyback on that. So when you talk about uh, you're in Silicon Valley and immediately I go to technical skills, is it specifically the technical skills that attracted you to this um, topic or was it also the people skills? And can you specifically speak to the people skills and I don't really like to call it this, but the soft leadership skills that some people refer to? Yeah, so my my background is quite varied. Uh, My first job at a university was working for a company called CitySearch.com. This is at the sort of late 90s in San Francisco, just as people were uh, getting onto the internet. And um, we we had a very simple business model. People would pay us $50 a month. Uh, We would build a thing called a website for them, uh, and they could be launched uh, on the website. Uh, Do do you remember CitySearch.com? No, but when you just mentioned that you were talking about a website, I just had a smile on my face, um, just well, the way you said it. Well, our, our, our number one uh, competitor was a company called uh, Zip2. Are you familiar with Zip2? No, I'm sorry. Neither of those. Okay. Well, Zip2 was Elon Musk's first first company. Oh, okay. Um, so we were sort of competing with uh, Zip2 and City Search, were the sort of, I guess, the early versions of online directories where people, small businesses could have websites and be found on the internet. And so that was my sort of first experience of, you know, solving business problems, but using technology to do it. And I think the type of people that were sort of in that sphere were interested in the impact technology was having in the world and trying to use that to solve problems we've always had, right? Like, Connecting customers to business is a problem we've had for many, many decades. And technology was just changing the way you solve that problem. But it also meant the behaviors as leaders that you needed to do to run these businesses was also evolving. So that sort of gave me my first sort of taste of working in these sort of innovative, experimental, fast-paced environments. Um, And what I was recognizing in my experience there was that I was constantly having to learn new technologies, learn new programming languages, learn new new innovations that came onto the market. So a lot of the things that had worked for me um, a year ago would not work in a year's time. Um, So I just was in this natural environment where I was continuously sort of adapting to the changing circumstances around me. Um, And that sort of became a little bit intuitive to me. It was just sort of the way things were. Um, and then I founded a, a part of a startup, the mobile games development company uh, based in Edinburgh, um, which was fantastic. We were building on this technology called Wireless Application Protocol, or WAP. It was like the first version of digital uh, on your phone. And um, the company exploded because nobody else was doing it. Um, and suddenly we were you know, four people in a tiny little office in uh, Edinburgh. And we were getting phone calls from Sega and Sony and Disney to start building games for them. Um, and the technology was terrible. It was very, very early doors. It kept breaking. The phone hardware was really weak. And um, so again, this idea of trying to figure out um, what worked and what didn't was very key in my experience. Um, and then sort of throughout then the rest of my uh, career, I've either been working in companies building uh, digital products or services in education and uh, following that. And then I moved into uh, consulting, where today I have my own business um, in, in that space. 
And it's been very disinteresting for me to, like, as I said, work with these phenomenally uh, talented people who are very competent and have been promoted to often the higher echelons of their business because they're great at what they do. Um, and then suddenly as the world starts to change and a lot of the behaviors that made them successful in the past can actually limit their success in the future. Um, and, you know, as in terms of leadership, I think the classic example I would describe is, you know, anyone who's ever been uh, an individual contributor on a team, uh, say you're a software engineer or say you're just like, a, you know, someone who's uh, part of a team and you're really, really good at what you do. And then suddenly, um, because you're good at that, people start to come and ask you questions. How do I solve this problem? What do I do in this situation? And, and if you're lucky, or some people would say unlucky, you get promoted to be a manager. And then suddenly, um, you know, all the skills that made you successful as individual contributor, say if you're a software engineer, writing code is how you defined your success. But now you're managing people who are writing code. You know, and if you just lock yourself away and just continue to just write your own code, you're going to fail as a manager, right? Your, your role has now shifted about making other people successful in something that you were competent in. And, but if you hold on to the behaviors that made you competent as just that engineer, you're going to fail as a manager. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just sort of, you know, that's a very classic example that I think many listeners would have gone through is, a lot of the things that made you successful as an individual contributor can limit your success as you start to manage other contributors. And this is sort of like recognizing when you need to sort of unlearn. Uh, and there's a series of steps that you can think about to do that. But that's just an example to maybe resonate with some of the listeners. Yeah, I'm glad I asked that question. And for a number of reasons, uh, my chosen uh, specialty is leadership development. And one of the, the model that I use, it talks about how when you move from that individual contributor to the manager level, that's where the greatest change occurs in your, um, the difference between your people skills and your technical skills. And, you know, just to go back to why did I smile when you mentioned the word websites and, you know, it just had a flashback of, you know, probably don't know this or maybe most of the listeners may not know this. My, my educational background is in computer science. It's not something that I advertise because I wasn't good at it. I was better at the people side. And so a quick story on that. My graduate school advisor was a guy named Randy Pouch. You may have heard of him. He passed away from pancreatic cancer and he wrote the book, The Last Lecture. Randy was a fantastic guy and he was uh, clairvoyant. He knew that I couldn't code, but he knew that I, uh, my background as an army helicopter pilot, I could do some work with uh, what he was interested in. He ended up working with Disney and Imagineering and not to get too far in a tangent, but that's how my, why I smiled, the connection um, a background that I don't often share. But let's get into behaviors and mindset because that's really the key from my perspective of what you're writing about and what you talk about. And, and before I jump into your steps to how, to how do we unlearn and proceed from there, in the early part of your book, you talk about why should we unlearn? Now, we've talked about some of it. Is there anything else you want to share about unlearning like the paradox of success at all before we dive in some deeply? Well, I, I think it's just helping people recognize that the paradox of success is is real. And a lot of the things that make you successful in one role can actually limit you in the future. Um, and it's really like the way I, but when I also talk about unlearning, a lot of people get very upset 
Um, and they initially say to me, well, what, what are you saying? That everything I know is wrong? And, and that's not the case. That couldn't be further from the truth. What I'm trying to help people recognize is that, uh, you know, all this knowledge you have, it's, you need to hold on to it. But you need to recognize when to some knowledge and thinking is becoming obsolete and you need to let go of it. Um, and when your current existing knowledge threshold is hit and you need to make space for new information to come in. So it's really a system about recognizing when to unlearn. Uh, so I define unlearning as a process of letting go, reframing or moving away from once useful mindsets and acquired behaviors that were effective in the past, but now limit our success. So it's not forgetting, removing or discarding knowledge or experience. It's the conscious act of letting go of outdated information and actively engage in, in taking in new information to inform your decision-making and action. And I think this is sort of key for people to understand that we're in a world of high change, constant flux, high complexity. And what you need is a system to recognize when the behaviors you're using are driving the outcomes that you want and not. And when you need to both learn and unlearn. Mm-hmm. Now, you you, uh, you touched on something that's kind of a sore point with, not a sore point, but a something very uh, close to home with me. And that is, you said every experience helps you with where you're going to go. Now, if I were to rewind my entire career, maybe I wouldn't have gone into computer science. But I got I, like I said, I met Randy Pausch, great man. Uh, unfortunately, he passed way too early, um, but he offered he had a lot to offer the world, and I'm so appreciative that I, I was able to cross paths and learn from him. And uh, and the fact of the matter is, is a lot of times my computer background, even though it's not my strength, it has helped me in different situations. So for our listeners, whatever it is, if you've gone on a pathway, isn't exactly what you considered the ideal. All the experiences are good experiences, and and I just hope that everybody keeps that in mind. So once again, we're talking to. Barry O'Reilly, the author of Unlearn, and he is talking to us about his book, and we're going to keep going, and if you have any questions or you'd like to call in, our number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. So, Barry, before we, one more question before we dive into all the steps that you can share with the, the listeners is, let's talk a little bit about obstacles. You talk about there are obstacles to unlearning, and there are different things like um, reward and recognition. I think we, we talk about cognitive biases or different biases. So what do you want to tell us about the various obstacles we can have? Well, well I think um, rewards and recognition is a key one, especially for people trying to design high-performance organizations. You see, often uh, the incentive structures that companies use to drive innovation uh, actually drive perverse behaviors that can actually lead to detrimental impacts on your organization. You see, what what we tend to do uh, when we're trying to help people change is we think of, like, what's the easiest thing to measure that will tell us that we're doing great innovation? Uh, And when things are sort of easy to measure, they often don't really reflect the complexity of what we're trying to do. You know, the classic example of this uh, in recent times is uh, Wells Fargo was trying to drive innovation within their bank. They were thinking about, well, how would we know if we were de- delivering great customer experiences to people? What, would, what indicator would tell us that we're, we were doing that? 
you know, and their, and their management team sort of asked this question, but they came up with a, a very easy to measure answer. What they said was, well, if people are opening more accounts, obviously they must be liking our service. And then what they did is they put a very strong incentive on people. So the more accounts people opened, the bigger bonuses that they would offer. I remember employees. this. Now, yeah. Right. And so what kind of behavior do you think that drove? Mm-hmm. So initially it was great. Right? Lots of people suddenly started opening accounts and you know everything looked like they were doing great innovation, great customer service. And then suddenly it was harder to open accounts. But because there was such a strong incentive on it, people started to work the system in, let's just call, interesting ways. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, you have uh, what results in one of the biggest and highest fines ever in financial banking in the United States because people within Wells Fargo were opening fake accounts so they could hit their incentive to hit their bonus. And Wells Fargo's brand is left in somewhat ruins because they have this huge corporate antitrust, breaking customer belief, attacking their brand because they were bonusing people on opening new accounts. An easy-to-measure example for delivering great customer service internally so I think when you're talking about rewards and recognition, um, you need to be very conscious about what kind of behaviors are you hoping to drive. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if you put strong incentives against easy-to-measure examples of success, you could start to get some perverse or unintended consequences. So you really need to like model and monitor the systems you create. An alternative to that is the example I share from Capital One. Uh, in the book, where we talk about how to drive digital transformation in their organization. And they knew if they wanted to achieve the customer outcomes that they described, like increasing customer conversions by 20% and retention by 50% in the next uh, year, that they were fundamentally going to have to have a talent transformation. So they started to recognize to get customer outcomes, they needed to change the way they built their digital products. Uh, moving in, being able to experiment rapidly with customers, have higher confidence in the quality of their products. Um, and they realized to do that, they needed to move from existing hardware into cloud infrastructure. But they didn't have many people within Capital One that had that skill. So what they started to do is they encouraged people to start taking um, certification courses in AWS as a way, a proxy for showing people that they were developing themselves. And anyone who took the test was, they sent an email to the highest levels of the organization to say, congratulations, Tom, for taking that course. You're now a certified cloud engineer. And your CEO knows this now. Now, Tom, we'd also encourage you, if you could start to train other people how to use this, that would be fantastic. Because with, with technologies like cloud infrastructure, they change so fast, any training program is out of date literally today created. So what you're relying on is building a community of practitioners who can teach what they're learning to novices. So by doing, by also recognizing and rewarding people who are doing behaviors that help other people succeed and measuring and modeling that, 
then you create this sort of virtuous system that as people who are curious and start to learn these new techniques and then willing to coach other people to learn these techniques and rewarding people for those positive behaviors, you, you create this flywheel of innovation starting to happen. Um, and great leadership behaviors that start to happen because they're recognized up and down the company for that. And today, uh, Capital One has the second highest proportion of uh, cloud fluent engineers in the United States. There's only one consultancy that has more people that are qualified in that discipline uh, in the North America. So it just sort of shows you when you start to recognize what are the good behaviors, how do we recognize those good behaviors and reward people for that? These things aren't easy to measure. They're actually hard to measure. And that's why when you start to think about what's the top line success that we're aiming for, increasing customer retention, uh, growing the business, what can I do in my department? So the technology team were like, well, we're going to need to transform our talent. At the moment, we, we should be measuring what percentage of our infrastructure is in the cloud, how frequently are we deploying software, how, how much are our customers using our software. And then as a result of that, that prompts people to start developing themselves and then recognizing that the re recognition is not just improving yourself, but also improving yourself and improving others. You create this sort of virtuous system uh, up and down the organization that drives this huge transformation. Um, and it's just good to compare those two examples where people really are thoughtful about it at Capital One and maybe where they were a bit naive and simplistic at, at Wells Fargo and just measure how many accounts got opened and then put a huge bonus on that. Well, great, thank you. We're almost on a break already. Uh, the time has been flying, but let me first summarize what Barry had just said in, in a couple of different examples and then we'll uh, pause for our first break. So first of all, when you talked about um, the one of the things that I wrote down was uh, our questions are better than our answers. So when you're looking um, to build a, create incentives for people, I was working with organization and what they had done was a bunch of project managers and they had to, they had to have the, the folks help each other out on different projects, but your pay incentive was based on how well your project did. And so the whole goal there was to really instill teamwork but they were destroying teamwork by saying, hey, whoever's project is best gets the most money. So that's just a, a smaller example of what you were talking about versus Wells Fargo and Capital One. And on the note of Wells Fargo, another personal note, you've got a couple books and I've written one. And right after I published my book and I was uh, – I was highlighting the great thing or the great mission statement of Wells Fargo. They had their demise. And so that just uh, bad timing for me at any rate. So um, it, it's really about the questions that you ask that it's, it's going to drive the behavior you want. And um, if you want to just one thing, oh, we got a couple more minutes than I thought, but before we go into that break, if you want to talk about, this is the part that I think the listeners really need to take away. It's when, when you said that the, the person who had, received their uh, technical certification and that was announced to all of the higher management, to the CEO. And the question was, well, okay, great. Barry, would you like to train others? Now the real incentive there is people want to feel valued for their work, right? Okay, so I want you to talk about how that is really the true incentive. We're talking the difference between external motivators, internal motivators, whether you want to call it extrinsic or intrinsic. But the bottom line is how do you tap into what drives people 
and get them intrinsically motivated. If I know I'm going to be teaching other people and that excites me, go ahead. I don't want to talk anymore. I want you to tell the audience. Yeah, well, I think this is one of the things I learned from my gaming uh, experience, right? Like gamifying a lot of systems is what drives people. And, you know, for some people it was like, hey, your name is now up on the, they, in, in Capital One, they had like a, a, a wall of everyone who had been certified, right? Getting your name on that wall was like a, a, a recognition. Right? It's like, I, I have bettered myself. You know, being recognized as a trainer of other people or someone who's helping become and inspire other individuals sort of moved to like a leadership. Like I'm, I'm it's, it's in like another badge of honor, you know, and, and I'm sure from again, your military history, right? The, these, the badges are recognitions of outstanding achievements. Absolutely. You know, so we know these systems um, through many of the different types of organizations that they're in. And, you know, people appreciate that. You know, when you meet someone with a purple heart, straight away, I'm sure there's a certain type of emotion you feel towards that person, right? Versus because you know what they would have had to do to achieve something like that. Mm-hmm. Sim- similarly, when someone has a proxy for that type of um example within an organization where they're someone who has great credibility or respect in the company because they're known as a great leader. They mightn't have a a badge specifically designed for that, but it's inferred by, you know, Tom created the training program for other people who are interested to try and get in good at leadership. You know, like that, that's, these things are all proxies for that. And I think the, recognition that people feel for being attributed to that. Um, some people do it for financial motives. Some people do it for personal motives. And I think um, it's just being aware of those uh, classic uh, human responses to and, and trying to build systems that drive the behaviors you're looking for rather than the ones you don't. Right. And you, uh, you, you again touched a nerve with me. So when you, when somebody's identified themselves or proven themselves, you you have a certain amount of respect for them. And, and I have to t- share this this story. Uh, an individual reached out to me on LinkedIn, and at first I didn't know who he was. And uh, as I looked up his profile, he was a Medal of Honor winner. Well, you can imagine that means a lot to everybody, but maybe whether it's more or less to me, I just felt as a fellow service member, fellow officer. I felt compelled to to bend over backwards for him because he deserved that and so much more. Um, and then I read his story about what he what he did to accomplish the Medal of Honor. It was just in, in fantastic and incredible, and, and I just wanted to do everything I could to help him. And I did the best that I could, and uh, and I hope we continue to have uh, contact. We had some contact for a while, and we need to do that again. It reminds me of that. All right, well, look, you've been listening to the uh, Voice America Business Radio Another episode of Your Evolving Leadership Journey. We've been talking with Barry O'Reilly, the author of Unlearn, Let Go of Past Success to Achieve Extraordinary Results. When we return, we're going to pick up on the rest of his book and uh, dive into uh, multiple conditions he wants to share with you and how you can unlearn. So stand by. We'll look forward to having you right back with us.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Well, welcome back. Once again, we're listening to Barry O'Reilly, the author of Unlearn, Let Go of Past Success to Achieve Extraordinary Results. So far, we've been talking about the prelude, and we're going to dive into some specific uh, conditions that he wants to share with you regarding unlearn, relearning, and breakthrough. Uh, but I already have a question for you, Barry, and it came from uh, Manny. I believe I pronounced that correctly, and I believe he's from Australia. So his question is, is there a way we can identify what we need to unlearn as an individual or as a team in an organization or as an organization? It's a perfect question um, to come back to, actually. So, as I said, the sort of inspiration for me to write on learn came from what I frequently find to be the inhibitor in helping high performance people get better. Not their ability to learn new methods, but their inability to unlearn uh, mindsets, behaviors, and methods that were successful in the past, but now limit uh, their future success. So how do I know I need to unlearn? All right, so I want all your listeners just to pause for a moment. Just, just clear your mind and think about your answer to some of these questions. So where is a part that you're not achieving the outcomes that you desire? Maybe there's a challenge you're working on. Maybe there's a, a, a certain part that you're not living up to the expectations that you have for yourself. Is there a situation that you're struggling to resolve or you're just trying to avoid altogether? Can't even think about it. Or maybe there's a place where you've tried everything you can think of and you're still not getting the desired results. 
So if you can come up with a challenge or a situation to any of those questions, not achieving the outcomes that you want, not living up to your expectations, struggling to resolve or a situation you're just avoiding altogether, tried everything you can think of and you're still not getting the breakthrough you want, they're all signals that your existing behavior is not working. It's not driving the results you want. Therefore, you need to change the way you try and tackle that challenge. So these are sort of like the signals um, that I say to people is these are when you need to unlearn. Not achieving the outcomes you want, not living up to the expectations you have, struggling to resolve the situation or just avoiding a challenge altogether, or you literally have tried everything you can think of and you're still not getting there. Um, and, you know, it's one of these sort of counterintuitive things. Most people get comfortable with the behaviors that are natural to them and expect that it will drive the breakthroughs that they want. And yet when they're not achieving the breakthroughs that they want, they sort of sit there and scratch their head. And it's really recognizing that the problem is me. My sets of behaviors are not driving the outcomes I want. Therefore, I need to change my behaviors. And that often requires people getting uncomfortable, getting outside their comfort zone, and trying things that are not natural to them. So there's something just to, to think about, Manny, and, and I'd be interested for you to share what your answer was to that question. Uh, oh, sure. So, <laughs> so matter of fact, you and I were talking about this prior to the live show, and that is messaging. How do we, how do we communicate something, in my case, I believe that this show has a lot of value for the people who are interested in learning leadership. I have a lot of experience and I want to share it with it and I want to be able to reach more people. So my challenge is how do I get better at messaging? Um, so that's the quick answer to that question. And, and you and I can talk about that after the show because uh, I'll be glad to pick your brain. But if you want to share some comments right now, that's fine too. Um, but the note that I wrote down as you were talking was, again, I go back to biases. We all have these biases and we tend to, we tend to migrate back to the things that support our version of the truth or reality. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, but your call. Go ahead. Well, you know, biases are helpful for us, but they also hinder us, right? Like we, we live in a complex world, so we, we can't deeply consider every single thing in the world, right? We, we, biases exist to help us make more decisions more frequently not get drowned out by complexity. The danger being, though, is that they limit our ability to deeply consider things. They cause us to discount information that's important, but we don't see it because we're automatically responding to situations, right? Um, and sadly, biases affect our industry in horrific ways through marginalizing minorities, uh, women, pay gaps, all these problems that we have because of our biases. So I think what we need to do here is just become good at recognizing them or recognizing, am I doing an automatic response here rather than do I need to consider this situation and think about alternative options to move forward? Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's simple, simple things that, that we do. You know, the classic leadership example is because for most leaders, they've grown into the role because they always had the answer. 
people would ask them difficult questions. And because they were competent in that area, they have an answer. Now, so there's sort of a bias is to answer questions when asked. You know, and you sort of made this point, um, it's more important to have a great question rather than to have an answer. But when you're sort of a manager and you're used to sort of having the answer, getting the a dopamine hit from always knowing the answer, if you continue that behavior as a leader, you know, your team will sort of get to a point where they'll stop asking questions and trying to solve them themselves. They'll just go get the answer. And they start, they can actually develop this learned helplessness to where they're actually afraid to not be given the answer over time. And yet a leader who might be feeling great that they're telling everybody the, and showing how smart they are could actually be limiting the effectiveness of their team over time if they can't think and act for themselves. So what I always say is that great leaders ask better questions. They don't have all the answers. You know, and subtle, tiny little behaviors you can introduce to fight that bias is to sort of say, when people come to you, there's a great story in the book um, of a CIO of uh, one of the largest hotel chains in the world. You know, and, and she would often say to her team, and they came to her saying, what do you want us to do here? How, what, how do you want us to solve our customer booking? You know, she made the conscious decision that she wasn't going to make any decisions for a day. And when people asked her that questions, she would say to them, what do you think we should do? To see what they would say. Who, who wanted to take that responsibility? Who shied away from it? Who was, who was afraid to step forward? And she learned a huge amount about her team. Who was ready to take the decisions? Who needed coaching and support to get better? Who needed just a little bit more confidence in a system to make decisions? If she had just given people the answer all the time, she would never have learned all these things. So I think it's just sort of, again, these... And that's just a simple example of a classic uh, leadership conditioning and maybe a bias that we think great leaders have all the answers. I'll just go to the leader for the answer. Um, and I think um, that's a thing to be unlearned, is how do you create teams and systems that people can figure out answers for themselves? And leadership is much more about the principle of mission and setting direction about where people are trying to go and helping people get there. Well, you're going to derail me from my agenda and that's fine because I'm having a fun conversation with you. Um, and I would just tell the listeners, look, you can read the book and you can get through all the uh, steps, but what he just talked about there is a breakthrough and I, I have to share experience. First of all, I have to make kind of a question correction, if you will, that, that, observation that the questions are more important than the answers that comes from my graduate school advisor, Randy Pausch. So I have to give him attribution for that and uh, not take credit for that. But uh, what you're essentially talking about here is, uh, and I had another guest and we talked about the Socratic method uh, or she talked about that. And, and what we're trying to do is we're really trying to, as you're saying, unlearn, you know, as you're talking and, go, and going through that, I thought, you know, I got a dopamine hit from getting my, um, subordinate leaders, if you will, in the military to be able to do the things 
without me being there. And, and, I, and I had to learn this because I was just thrust in this situation where, um, unlike all my colleagues, they all would take their five helicopters lock, stock, and barrel, and we had this unique mission. Out of 27 aviation companies in the 101st Airborne Division, ours was unique, and we had to go one ship, two ship missions, wherever. One time we had seven helicopters in seven different states. So, of course, I had to empower people. I had to get everybody to be able to think on their own. And, and the best way that I was able to do that was um, – and I didn't get this immediately, but I started to do this. And I, and I remember an experience in a muddy cornfield in southeast Indiana where I started asking this lieutenant these questions. Now, you can imagine a military scenario where he's uncomfortable with the answer and he's giving me yes, sir, no, sir. And I finally say, Zach, let's cut the BS. Why do you think I paired you with Jerry? I'm not trying to, you know, yeah, I want you to, to reframe your perspective, but I want you to be able to do this on your own. Now, those words weren't spoken, but they were understood because just, you know, it happens in, in cultures, not just the military culture, a culture where people all share the common, same common values and they're aligned and they get where we're supposed to go. So I love what you said about that. Um, if you want to piggyback on that some more, please do, because it was a, it was a highlight moment that I'll, I'll never forget in my career about how it was. And Tom Peters has this quote, he says, great, it's something to the effect of great leaders don't create more followers, they develop more leaders. And I, and I haven't gotten the quote exactly right, but it's something close to that. Go ahead. Yeah, but I, th I think, um, you know, if we, if we circle back on some of our other conversations, if, if you think of a measure of success of your leadership, is it that you make lots of great decisions or that you create more leaders? Now, it's well, hard. To, right. And, and it's hard to measure. Have you created another leader? What's easy to measure is to tell people how many decisions you've made today. So right. you know, like it sort of starts to touch on this incentive problem, right? So, so what what would I the way I would help you sort of work through that is well, if people were autonomous great leaders, what would they be doing, Tom? So Zach was what what kind of things would Zach be doing in your mind if if he was like functioning as this high-performance, empowered leader that you want him to be? What would be some of the things he'd be doing? Well, this particular scenario is he was in charge of being the air mission commander of an aviation mission. And, and I, I was trying to get him to, to be in charge. And there was a senior individual who didn't like it and wanted me to be more involved because he wanted the mission to be a success. And I was like, no, this is a training exercise and I need to train this guy. And that's more important. And then my boss comes up to me and he corners me and we have a heart to heart conversation. And I said, sir, I'd like your support. And he's like, well, Tom, what if you fail? The infantry needs a, you know, success too. And the long and the short of it is I was kind of behind the scenes the whole time just making sure he was doing the right things. Now, he didn't know that, and he didn't know that I was getting pressure from my boss, but he knew that I was on top of it. And then I finally said to him, Zach, why do you think I paired you? Because buddy teams are big in the military. Why do you think I paired you with Jerry? And I don't know, sir. And I said, so you can learn. I said, now go with Jerry, take him there, and have him teach you. I said, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but I do expect you to be big enough to ask for help. And that's one thing as leaders, we, we just feel like we have to have the answers. And no, you don't. You just don't. 
you need to know where to get the answers and you need to know who to turn to. So the long and the short, this is one of my prouder moments. Zach surpassed his, the, the master, if you will. So I, the teacher, I retired as a lieutenant colonel and Zach went on to be a full colonel and, and he's still in the National Guard and he commanded at the battalion and the brigade level, had a fantastic career. So I'm very proud of that. Um, so it shouldn't be about me, but go ahead. Um, well, like, it, it, again, the ways I would try and unpack some of these things, right? You said you were talking about, well, how would we know Zach had done well? Right, right. Well, your manager would, would, would report that he's confident in Zach's ability. Right, that's that's a measure, mm -hmm. right? And you know, Zach wouldn't uh, d demonstrate that when he knew, didn't have the answer, he knew when to ask for help. Right, like th these are small little things that you can you can measure. Right, so after after a mission, you could say to Zach, "How many times were you in a situation where you didn't have the answer? What percentage did you ask for help? What did you try to solve yourself? You know, what would be success in those scenarios?" Asking your your you know your your um, the person you reported to on a scale of one to ten, how confident were you in Zach? You'd probably say four. Right. Well, how how do I get Zach to like on a scale of ten that he's eighty percent confident in Zach? Right. Like that's setting an outcome. Mm -hmm. And then and then you start doing things like pairing Zach with people he could learn from, giving him training opportunities where he can go through exercises he might not have done before and learn and unlearn. Right, like you're creating these sort of situations. They're small experiments that allow people to grow and develop, to recognize their gaps, to create scenarios where they can safely learn. Right, like the reason we do training exercises, whether it's in the military or in organizations where you give people experiences to work on problems they haven't worked before, is you're trying to create safe to fail opportunities for people to learn. Right. You don't want them to have to learn in. Uh, production environments and software or the battlefield in military, right? Like it, that's why we do training exercises. That's why we create prototypes and software is so people can test their or exercise their capabilities and find out what their limitations are as well as the uh, competencies they have. So, I, you know, I think it's just being very deliberate about these things. You, as you're describing, is you're creating a, an environment or an opportunity for Zach where he could learn from somebody else, where you were sending them on challenging missions that you knew he's probably not capable of achieving, but you, but by going through that exercise, he's going to learn a huge amount. Right? Like That's intentionally designing these opportunities. Um, so when you're a leader in an organization, the, that marries to you thinking about well, how do I give someone a task that I maybe know how to do, but it, they might know how to do? How do I create a, an option for them to sort of experience what it's like to to run a conference or to run a board meeting or to run a, a feedback session with somebody in a team? Right. Like so. So the the pattern I always say is that you've got to think big about the aspiration or outcomes that you want. So moving Zach to the your commander being 90% confident in him is probably thinking big at the time. You know, whether you're trying to create a high-performance team and nobody has ever managed anyone before and you're thinking big about this team is suddenly is going to manage teams of teams in the future. Um, but then you start small, right? Like, And you give people these sort of small experiences that they can start to like relearn. Uh, try new behaviors that are uncomfortable because when you start small, it makes it safe to fail. You have a fast feedback loop um, mm -hmm. and you learn fast what works and what doesn't. 
So this pattern of sort of thinking big, starting small and learning fast is, is one I use everywhere, especially when I'm teaching people both what they need to unlearn and think bigger about what they're trying to achieve and then relearn by starting small to try and find these new behaviors that could lead to the outcomes that they want and get the breakthroughs that they're looking for. Um, and, you know, by again, starting small makes people feel successful quickly that they've started, that they're trying new things. Um, you know, and, and that's been an amazing pattern as I've worked with these organizations and teams. It's just like, how can you give someone a small experience of a new behavior and see what outcomes it drives? So whether it's you buddying up uh, Zach with someone and sending them on a, 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 a mission where you could look at very specific parts of that mission that they that are a little bit outside their comfort zone, so that it's a growth opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's me when I was when I'm working with senior leaders and I'm trying to teach them new behaviors, like the uh, CIO of the hotel group, or I suggested to her, just don't make a decision for a day. What's the worst that can happen if you don't mm-hmm. make a decision for a day? You'll find out so much about your team. It, who wants to make decisions, who needs help to make decisions, who's just afraid to, you know, and and it's just these like thinking big and starting small. Normally when I say to an executive, don't make decisions for a day, most people think that's radical. The company will fall apart if I don't tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. And and oddly, that's a problem. If you've built a company that can't survive without you, that's not a high performance uh, team. Right. So there's a, we, we're going to have to wrap up here soon because I want you to have the opportunity to tell everybody what you do a little bit more about you. But there's one thing that I, w- I would perhaps like you to have share with the audience and how they could reframe this. The advantage that I had in the Army is I grew up in the culture of we all knew that one day the person in front of us might not be there. We all knew that we ourselves would not be there. And so, therefore, perhaps it was easier for us to think that we've got to develop the people to take our place. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, I think um, the responsibility of great leaders is to uh, great people who are probably better and more competent than them, right? Um, But again, the the, the challenge in the corporate world is we, when we create incentive systems and bonus people on individual behavior rather than team behavior, you know, you're, it, it drives individualistic thinking. Right. And, you know, if I know my bonus is riding on me hitting a specific number rather than the team succeeding or the organization succeeding, I think that's when you get these perverse behaviors. And um, maybe one of the nuances that's, uh, as you're describing in the military, is, you know, success is you not coming home, it's the team coming home. You know, success is the organization uh, winning the battle, not you just winning your battle. Right. And I think um, that's sort of the culture, as you describe it, is that message is ingrained into people um, through the experiences they have. It's the values that guide the behaviors of the teams. Where I think in, in the corporate world, we often make lip service to these comments, but we are our systems but um, reflect differently about how we reward and recognize people. So I think it's just being aware of that. If you're going to lead these teams, make sure that you're measuring success as a team. If you're going to bonus groups, bonus them as a team. 
not as an individual. And I think you might be amazed with some of the results you start to get. All right. Well, look, we're going to have to wrap up, but I got to tell you another funny anecdote. <laughs> um, when you were talking about how, how important the teams were, um, our sons, six and nine, playing baseball, and the little guy comes back and says, uh, I won today. <laughs> I have to say, Dominic, you didn't win. It was a team thing. All right. Look, we've only got two minutes left, so I, I definitely want to just give – give some plugs to Barry in his book. It's a great book. He talks about in the unlearned section of his book, four conditions. You got to identify the challenge, define success, uh, challenge, courage, commit to the start the cycle. Uh, and I'm not giving this justice because I, I, we're pressed for time, but this, the next part he talks about relearning. And this is the, you've got to create uh, new options. You got those small steps that he already talked about. You've got to find the right behavior. And he talked about that as well. And, and starting small is even smaller than you think. I highlighted that. And then finally, the breakthrough. He's got four necessary conditions for that. You've got to reflect. You've got to feed forward. You've got to measure outcomes over output. That's part of the same thing. The condition three is aligning impact. Uh, and condition four is increase your rate of unlearning. So, look, there's just way too much to talk about in an hour. Barry, we've only got maybe a minute and a half left. How can the audience reach you or learn more about you? I mean, you've got a bunch of things. You've got a podcast. Go ahead and share, please. Yeah, so um, if you're interested to learn a little bit more about me, you can just go to barryoreilly.com. Um, on there, I have access to all my blogs, uh, different books that I've written and talks, which uh, are all free, and you're, you're welcome to have a look at those. Um, I have my own podcast, the Unlearn podcast as well, where I interview people um, in leadership positions uh, from – I've had the COOs of HSBC, uh, Finair. I've had Eric Reese from the Lean Startup uh, talk about times they've had to unlearn in their career. So I, I really encourage people to check that out. Um, and if you really want to get involved in some of this work, you know, reach out to me. I have a program called Exec Camp where I get executives to leave their business in some instances up to two months to launch new businesses to disrupt their existing companies uh, and as a result disrupt themselves. So it's uh, lots of fun ways that you can learn a little bit more about me uh, and also potentially work with me. And uh, it'd be my pleasure to connect with anyone from the show. I'm also available on Twitter and LinkedIn. So please just reach out and let me know that you uh, listen to the show. And thanks very much for your time. All right. Thank you so much. We got to go and you can reach them. And uh, we'll look forward to having you next week. So appreciate you ha having you here. YourEvolvingLeadershipJourney.com. You can find it all. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.